bow our heads in uh, preparation for the, the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I uh, pray that you be with me as I, uh, as I preach the word today. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to the text, help me to be faithful to, to um, the gospel message, help me to, to point folks towards you, Lord. I pray that you would keep me from putting any of myself in the way, that, that this wouldn't be my message, but that it would be yours, Lord. I pray that um, the folks who are here, that you would prepare their hearts and their minds and help them to be like fertile soil, Lord, that they would, uh, they would receive you and know you better through this, Lord, that this would draw them into, into your presence and help them to know your Son uh, more and more. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I am not sure where to begin. Um, that is a good place to start. I, I had planned on starting with a song this morning, but that didn't work out, uh, mainly because I don't sing well, and, and my regular singer isn't, isn't, isn't um, like I sprung it on him in the last minute. Um, and so as I've been sort of um, thinking about where else to go, I, uh, I, my mind keeps coming back to this thing I've been doing with my family. Um, I, I, I joke a lot. I don't know if you all have noticed. I know it's, it's shocking. As serious as I usually am, I uh, and I, I put a lot of effort into thinking about how to how to entertain my my wife. I one of my favorite things about my wife is her smile, and I love it when she gets smiling. And so I'll I do silly things and I do ridiculous things just to make her laugh sometimes. And and a few weeks ago I, I uh, started um, telling the kids about how I wanted a BB gun for Christmas. <laughs> and uh, um, now. Abby, like, has learned. She hasn't seen the movie yet, but she'll frequently say to me, no, Dad, you'll shoot your eye out. And so, um, and so I, now I'm talking about giving Titus one and where I'm going to hide it in the house so that, you know, Jess doesn't know I bought it. And, and, and as I've thought about this, like, the things that, that, like, growing up, I never wanted a BB gun growing up. It was never something that stood out to me. But I, there were a lot of gifts that I wanted over the years. Any of you all ever find yourself in that spot when you were a kid and that was that one thing that you wanted more than anything else. Um, that, that one like, and as I, as I've gone back in the last few weeks and tried to think of it, it wasn't a red rider BB gun. It was a, it was a toy jet, a GI Joe jet. And my brother got the bad guy jet cause he was younger. He always had to be the bad guy. And this was the thing we wanted for Christmas was to, was to get these airplanes. And, and we talked about it for months. I think we had more time talking about it than we ever did playing with them. Does that make sense? Um, and that's sort of this weird thing with the way our culture celebrates Christmas. We, we end up like weirdly focused on all of this stuff. And it's easy to lose focus on like, like the thing that Christmas is really about. And we're, we're working our way through Isaiah 52 and 53, this servant song. And as I dive into this, like I, I want to say all of the joy and all of the celebration and all of the, the wonderfulness that goes with Christmas it, it sits on a weird counterbalance. Does that make sense? Like it sits on this weird, almost like a seesaw, where um, there's this great stuff, but there's this other half of it, okay? And we're getting to the second half of the song here, and the other half of it is, is, is darker, okay? Um, and, and originally I was actually going to have a, we were going to do God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, like this very upbeat and happy version because, um, I mean, the, the song, if you think about it, 
um, like the opening lines here, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Um, like the, the, uh, there's this, this happy end and the sad end, right? Like we're filled with great joy because Jesus, Jesus was born. Like God sent his son. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son for you. Like he sent the most precious thing in the world to live in this like mud hole that we live in, this, this messed up world, right? And to carry the weight of your sin. Like to take punishment in your place for the bad stuff we do. Like that is awesome. And it's this great gift God gives us. But then there's this other half of this, right? Is that Jesus has to carry the other side of it. And that's really what Isaiah gets to at this point. Um, we're going to kind of dig into it. Um, if I can get my slides to work again. Nothing but technical difficulties the last few weeks. All right, so this series so far, we've been talking about one or, No Ordinary Christmas, and sort of what I've been going for with this is we've been talking about how Christmas is, um, it's not just another day, and it's not just another chance to give gifts. It's not just another reason to spend money. It's not just another holiday. This is us celebrating God's D-Day, right? This is us celebrating God stepping into the world on our behalf. And, and because of that... Um, it's a huge deal. And as we go into Isaiah here, um, Isaiah, the whole book, and I'll come back to this idea, the whole book of Isaiah, it was written to like ancient Judah, the southern half of the Jewish king, like, kingdom of Israel, and, and it was all about their like constant falling into sin and falling away from God and rebellion against him and everything else. Like It is, it is a book about this, this sort of constant struggle that they have with their own sin and with their own fallenness. And this last section of the book, starting in like chapter 49, there's a series of songs, four songs. And this is the last song in the series. It is the last servant song. And it's sort of the culmination of the whole thing. Like if you watch a musical, and you all watch musicals, I don't really like them. Um, but the last couple of songs are sort of that climactic. Everything builds and then there's that resolution. This is that. It is everything comes to a head and it comes to the end and this is it. Um, Last week, we looked at the first half of this song. I'm going to read it to you because it's better for me to read it than, than to summarize it. Sound right? Um, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted, which is Isaiah's way of saying, like, my servant will be God because um, high and lifted up is a reference to God in Hebrew. Like, we only see it used that way. Um, as many were astonished at you, by his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and from form beyond that of children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which, he has, that which has not been told them, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed us? Uh, who has believed what he heard from us? And to, who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and he had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And 
as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, the quick summary, um, I'm not going to do the whole sermon again. You can listen to it online. Um, The quick summary of what he's saying there is Isaiah comes out of the gate and says, listen, God is sending a servant, and he'll be high and lifted up, meaning he will be divine, right? And this servant who is high and lifted up is going to be, Um, he's going to throw everybody for a loop because people are going to look at him. And first they're going to think, this guy is so lame. How can we look up to him? And then they're going to look at what God accomplishes through him. And they're going to be so amazed. And they're going to say, why would God do things so sideways? Um, I just read a a book. It's a fictional book, but it it tells a story of this Hindu fellow. And he first learns about Jesus in this book. And he says that he didn't like Jesus because why would God fix the world by being powerless. God is powerful. He should come into the world and squish everything that doesn't work right. And instead, God fixes the world through his humble servant who takes like like humiliation and, and beating and punishment and everything else. And people will be astonished at what God does through him because they'll look and say, why would God do things that way? Instead of accomplishing through power, he accomplishes through meekness and humility. Um, there's a lot more to it. Check out last week's sermon if you didn't hear it. I, I liked it. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna, And I don't like many of my own sermons, so that's quite a thing. Um, Isaiah 53.4, we're going to dive into the second half of this. So like the first three stanzas of the song, and then this will be the second three stanzas of the song. Um, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now watch this. Um, there are a couple of interesting things in here, and you got to like break out of like our mindset, okay? Because our culture has one view of suffering. We don't look at suffering as in like punishment, but in the ancient world, they looked at it, and if you had a bunch of bad stuff happen to you, the assumption was God doesn't like you. In fact, have any of y'all ever said that? Man, someone upstairs must not like you. You look at how much bad stuff is happening in your world. Um, and that was the attitude. If you read the book of Job, actually, Job is like, loses his family. He's dying of leprosy. He's like covered in boils. His skin is rotting. He's sitting in the burned down, like, spot where his house used to be. And he's got nothing left. And his wife says, curse God and die, Job. Just give up. Because, you know, she was a real supportive lady. Um, and, and then his friends come and they all talk to him and they're like, They take turns telling him, Job, you did something wrong. All you have to do is repent and God will fix it. And Job's like, I never did anything wrong. But that was the prevailing attitude of the day. If you were punished by God, like, or if you had bad things happen, it was a sign that you were punished. Like God had something against you. So your kids died? Well, what would you do to piss God or to make God so angry at you? I, sorry. Um, You know, you're, you're, you've lost a lot of money. Well, God's turned against you. What? There's a drought? Must have made God angry. Oh, well, I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm doing my best. Um, <laughs> and so the assumption was that if something bad happened to you, it was a result of God looking badly at you and having a low opinion of you and punishing you. Um, I'm going to tell you straight away, this is not like how God works. Sometimes God will allow bad consequences, right? And sometimes God will punish us through like temporal circumstances, but that's not really like the way God primarily operates, right? Bad things happen to good people. You with me? Good things happen to bad people. It happens. Um, God operates in a very different way. But these folks, Isaiah says, look, we look on him and we assume that he was afflicted by God and that God was angry at him. There's a word in there, stricken, right? We don't use this word very often. However, 
In ancient Hebrew, in almost every instance it's used, now watch this, it refers to leprosy, which is a horrible skin disease we don't get here very often, and literally like your body rots, and like pieces of you start falling off, and it's really horrible. At the time, if you were a leper, they made you live outside of town in a leper colony, and if you were walking down the road and you approached somebody who didn't have leprosy, you had to call out, unclean so people would know that you were like a leper and they could go somewhere else because if they caught it they would die too got it um leprosy like it's not always used for leprosy it's the most common use and actually the ancient jewish rabbis believed all the way up until the 12th century it was the dominant view that um that that the messiah like god's chosen one who would deliver his nation would be born and like would contract leprosy they believe that he would be a leper. It's in the Babylonian Talmud. If you want to look it up and you happen to own all 12 or 30-something volumes of it, you could go read it yourself. Um, but the assumption was that he would have – and, like, leprosy is a big deal because it is this horrible disease, right? Like, it's this horrible dying. And there is this sort of, like, weight that's tossed on this. And the, the weight that's tossed on the Messiah as we read this is that God is angry at him. And there's a series of contrasts here. Now, watch this. There are uh, six contrasts that we have. And actually, these six contrasts, um, as we kind of dive into them, are our side and his side. Everybody with me? Um, and so we start with, surely he has borne our griefs, right? So our griefs, and he bears them, right? Um, and carried our sorrows. Our sorrows, he carries them, right? And so our side is negative, and his side is taking it, right? Um he was, uh, and yet we esteemed him smitten, uh, as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Um, he was pierced for our transgressions. Um, pierced, by the way, is a funny one because, like, uh, it's not, um, the way it would be is, like, like pierced through would be the way it would be in Hebrew. Like, literally, he would be pierced through or stuck through. And in Hebrew, it always means killed. Right or almost always, meaning like somebody came along and pierced you through with a sword. The sword came out the other side, and you didn't survive the experience. Everybody with me? Um, and so, like they're saying, for our transgressions, meaning for our breaking of the law, for our disobedience of God, this promised Messiah. By the way, again, like last week, we talked about how the first half of this sort of parallels Jesus' birth, his coming, right? Like the the traditional Christmas story with the you know, sweet baby Jesus in the manger, all like eight pounds, five ounces of him, or however many it is, like like this version of him. And it's Isaiah backs it up and says, but wait, this is our end. This is what he's going to carry. This is our end. He's going to take it from us. And our transgressions, which we deserve to be pierced through for, we deserve to be punished for, he'll be, he'll be pierced through, he'll be, be executed for. Um, he was crushed for our iniquities. Again, our iniquities, meaning our wrongdoing, our disobedience to God, our rebellion, our like, like, like failure to obey, our, our garbage that we haul around with us. Like he's crushed, crushed for it. Um, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, meaning like we get peace, he gets punishment. I'm going through an extended period with my daughter right now. We've got a couple of attitude problems we're dealing with. Um, 
and, and it's an extended period of, well, if you're going to act this way, here's the consequence. If you're going to act this way, here's the consequence. If you're going to act this way, here's the consequence. And surprisingly, the consequence is not bringing her much peace. You all with me? In fact, actually, she has frequently come to me and said, Dad, what do I need to do to earn this? What do I need to do to pay back this? Like, how do I get what I want? What do I have to do to, like, what works do I have to accomplish? And you know what? It's crazy because as people, we often want to do that. Anybody ever tried that? Well, God, I screwed up, but if you'll fix it this one time, then I promise I will, dot, dot, dot. Am I really the only one who's ever done that? (laughs) Um, The problem is that God doesn't need anything from us, so we can't pay back. My daughter says, well, I can do these things if you'll give me my things back. Like, that's, that's not how punishment works, sweetheart. Like, you go through your punishment. That's, you know, and then don't do it again. In our case, like, God sends this servant. He sends this chosen one, and we're given peace. Peace, like, peace between us and God. Peace in our conscience. Peace, like, like um, that pierces to our very marrow, that becomes a part of us. And he receives our chastisement. Um, and with his wounds we are healed. This is one of those passages. There are a hundred different ways it's translated. And each one of them is amazing. By his stripes we are healed, right? Meaning by the lashing he received we're healed. By, you know, by his wounds we're healed. Like, like Jesus literally received scourging. And he took our punishment and we're healed as a result of his, of his injury. Um, the second half of the servant, servant song, and this is really Christmassy, but it is because Christmas is a predecessor to the cross, right? Like, like what we are as believers, what we are as Christians, we're followers of Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. He took punishment for every rotten thing I did, every rotten thing you ever did, and that's the gift that God gives us. Um, the cool thing is, I read a great, I read a great, um, read a great article by a guy who had become a Christian. He'd been an atheist all his life. He became a Christian, and he read Isaiah for the first time in the first like six months. He was a Christian, and he was reading it at work on his lunch break. And he took the passage and he walked around his office and he read the passage. He's like, "What do you think this is talking about?" And you hear the whole thing, like he was pierced for our transgressions, he was wounded for our iniquities. Um, people say, "Well, that's about Jesus, right?" This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Um, actually, if you piece through this whole song, like he picks out instances and details from Jesus' life and his, his ministry, and he does it centuries before Jesus was born because God knew this was coming, and he planned it. He planned it for you. He lined up history to reconcile you because we sin and he suffers for us. Um, some of this is metaphorical suffering. Jesus probably never had leprosy. Um, but some of it is literal, right? Like he carried spiritual weight. He carried a crushing um, horribleness. I want to share a quick thing, actually. I bookmarked it. Um, there's this really cool thing in the beginning of Isaiah. Isaiah's talking about the nation of Israel, God's people, okay? So he's talking about God's people. He says, why will, we be, why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. 
From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Um, Most scholars will parallel that with this song, with this section of this song, because the message Isaiah is giving us, and he hits it over and over again throughout the book, that's just one passage, we are that guy. We're the ones who live in rebellion. We're the ones who... um, we covet. We want things that don't belong to us. We're the ones who, who look at other people's wives lustfully or people who aren't our wives lustfully. Like we, we are the ones who, um, who lie. We're the ones who hate our enemies. We're the ones who say nasty things about people who we think are less than us, right? Am I the only one who does that? Like this is a spiritual sickness we carry. And Jesus carries the weight of it. And by that we're healed. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, sheep, we don't raise sheep here. We raise cattle, apparently. Sound right? Um, in the ancient world, people raised sheep because they didn't have refrigerators. Um, they are much smaller animals. You cut them up and eat them. It is easier to eat them in a couple sittings before they go bad. Does that make sense? So, like, everybody, these guys were all sheep herders, and they would understand something very fundamental about sheep. They are dumb. Sheep are really dumb. Sheep are single-minded. They um, see what is in front of them, and they worry about the next thing they're going to do, and that's it. Anybody ever live that way? Right? Like, what am I doing today? What am I doing this weekend? What am I doing with this? What am I doing with that? And it is, like, one thing to another, and like when they, they act, they don't think about the consequences of their action, which is why like sheep had a tendency to wander away from the flock, right? What happens if a sheep wanders away from the flock? Coyotes probably eat them, right? Or wolves or lions or bears or whatever. Like, like they had wandered, and so he says, listen, sheep, we're like sheep who've gone astray, meaning we're wandered off and we are ready to be eaten by something. We have turned, we've rebelled against God, every one of us, and we've picked our own way. And we do this, right? Like, you want to see examples of this? Turn the TV on for a few hours. Um, People naturally create their own moral codes. They say, this is what God wants, this is what I want, and we sort of forget what God wants and we make our own. What's right and wrong? It is right to do what makes me happy, right? Isn't that a song? If it makes you happy, can't be that bad. Um, like we live in a world that is decided, like my way is the right way. Um, we even, that's one of the funniest things I think about our culture and movies. We always have action heroes who will take the high road and not kill the bad guy until three seconds later when the bad guy gives them a reason to kill him, right? Because might makes right. We live in this world. Um, we all do it. We all make up our own rules, and it's a rebellion against God. Like, it's something that that injures him. It's something that offends him. Um, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us, meaning every instance of that, Jesus carried it. Every instance of it, when Christ was nailed to the cross, is hanging there, God pours all his wrath out on him. Um, And what's crazy is that's what the Christmas gift is. Right? I mean, if Jesus had showed up and he had been a great teacher, if he had spent his whole life giving really difficult teachings that we were going to fail to follow anyway, what would he give us? It's like throwing an anchor to a drowning man. I can't follow the rules I got. Jesus shows up and gives me harder rules. Watch me fail at those even better, right? Um, 
if Jesus had showed up and been a great example, it wouldn't have been any help. If Jesus had showed up and been a cute little baby in the manger and said, God gave us something, what does it matter? You ever get a gift you couldn't use? And you look at it and think, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> I wonder which closet I'm going to put that in until I get to re-gift it. Oh, I have a gift for you, Michael. It's my car. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but God gives us a gift that's even better than, than just some gift or some example or some new teacher, some new way to worship, some new rules to follow. God gives us the gift of, of peace with him through his son. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before the shearers, he is silent. And so opened not his mouth, meaning that Jesus took it and he took it quietly. He took it in obedience to God and he took it out of love for us. He didn't complain, he didn't cry, he didn't anything. It was a gift given willingly and like with peace of heart. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, meaning they took him away and they executed him. And people didn't think much of it at the time. I'm guessing that Pilate, when he ordered the execution of Christ, did not realize at that moment that he was changing the course of history. He was changing eternity for billions upon billions upon billions of people. Nobody thought about it. It was just this thing. He was another peasant who made problems, and so they killed him. Um, Little was thought of it, and he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of the people, which, by the way, is one of the things that the high priest said right before like they had started planning to, to execute Jesus. He said, well, isn't it better that one man would die rather than the whole nation? Right? Like, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Meaning like he was treated like the wicked, right? And he was buried in a rich man's grave. That's a pretty specific prediction 700 some odd years beforehand, ain't it? Still happened. Uh, 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now watch this. This is actually the best line in the whole song, and it is fantastic and is worth paying attention to, right? Watch this. This is the will of the Lord to crush him, meaning all of this happened because God meant it to happen, right? Because God meant for you to be reconciled with him. Because God meant for you to be in relationship with him. God meant for you to love him and know him. Not so that you could follow more rules. Not so that you could give money so I could get a hot tub. Not so that you could do like a bunch of other nonsense. But specifically to make you right with him. And he put his son to grief for it. And his soul made an offering. Now, over like 2,000 years before Jesus was even born, the Jewish people began sacrificing animals. And you would take this animal, this this sheep and you would like put your hand off on it and transfer your guilt and you would make a guilt offering, right? And like Jesus fulfills that ceremony. It was a symbol is what Hebrews tells us, right? Like that an animal can't take your sin. But Jesus like comes and shows up and he becomes that thing and he makes himself an offering for our sin. Like he puts himself out there as an offering. And because of that, like we're forgiven. He is our guilt offering. 
Um, and he shall prolong his days. Well, how can he prolong the days of a man who's dead? Well, that's Easter, right? That's the resurrection. And he'll see his offspring. Actually, I'm standing in a room of them, aren't I? Like, what a gift to get. Standing in a room full of people who were born again, who were made new in Christ, who are forgiven and are right with God and don't have to fear him and don't have to flee and don't have to toil under the weight of new rules and don't have to all of this other nonsense. We're right because Jesus died for us. And all we have to do is like stand under that guilt offering and say, this is my guilt offering, God. And we're forgiven. We're given his like righteousness and he receives our punishment. Um, and the will of the Lord will prosper his hand, meaning his work is accomplished and successful because of like God's will. Like he obeyed God's will. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall... He shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, um, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now watch this. So out of his anguish, out of his suffering and everything else, he'll look and see that his work is done successfully, and he'll make many righteous. Meaning like, before God, he looks at me, and despite the fact that I'm kind of, kind of, not even kind of, I'm really a terrible guy, God will look at me and say, I see Jesus when I see you. That's awesome. Like he makes many righteous. Like he literally sets people right with God. Because he bears their iniquities. Last line. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Um, there's this habit in Hebrew poetry, like they tend to follow patterns, like the one against the other earlier, our sorrow, he bore it, our iniquity, he was crushed. Like that's a like poetic pattern that's common in Hebrew. This is a summarizing line, meaning this line summarizes the whole rest of the poem. I could have just jumped to this and skipped everything else. It would have been 40 minutes shorter. Uh, <laughs> Therefore, I will divide him a portion, meaning like God is going to divide out good stuff for him and that good stuff like is us right like it is this forgiven crowd it is righteousness before god it is his kingdom coming um and like because he pours himself his soul out to death like he takes this punishment um he bears the sin of many and becomes the intercession for transgressor meaning like he can stand between us and god and offer forgiveness um the reason i i wanted to dig into this because it's not a very christmasy sermon right like, this is, this is an Easter sermon or a Good Friday sermon. But the reality is that, like, the gift that God gives us on Good Friday, the gift that God gives us on Easter is a gift he gave us on Christmas. This is the beginning of it. Um, and we celebrate that gift. Um, I, I sometimes quote, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a prayer where, um, in a movie, this is kind of silly, I guess, but there's a prayer in a movie where, like, uh, actor talks about like praying to Jesus but it's always baby Jesus I only like the baby Jesus I don't like to think about other Jesuses that's the only Jesus I like dear baby Jesus and and somebody says to him well wait a minute he wasn't baby his whole life I said well that's the only one I like in reality like we when we celebrate Christmas we look at the baby Jesus but remember that is only the beginning it's like reading the first chapter of the book right well the book ends with eternity well, actually, then I guess it never ends. Um, the climax of the book is is the cross. 
Isaiah begins telling us how he'll be born to no account, how nobody will look to him in a high, highfalutin kind of way. Um, we see that in the Gospels. Jesus is born. He's attended to by shepherds who are stinky and considered to be the rejects of society. They were basically homeless people, right? Um, and the kings who weren't actually kings, we church it up because it sounds nicer than saying pagan priests. Like not even God's own people show up to like honor him as royal. Um, like he's born in the worst possible circumstances and God glorifies him, even though we can't even, you know, like at the time the world couldn't take up any notice for him. And in the end, ultimately, it's so that he could in humility take our, take our humiliation, take our punishment, take our, our wrath on himself. Um, God, that's the best gift you can get, ain't it? I, man, there are things I lay in bed at night and I remember. Anybody have those? You think, oh, man, if I could only get that five minutes back. The problem is if I got those five minutes back, I would have done the same dumb thing ten minutes later instead. Right? And God takes all that and washes it away. That's the gift we celebrate on Christmas. Peace. Which actually makes the song even more... God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. My challenge for you as you go out of here is to keep this in your mind. Um, It's only got value if you use it, right? It's only got value if you pick it up and you take it with you and you turn it into something that's worth having. If you re-gift it without ever opening the package, you've wasted your time. It's not about showing up and giving money. It's not about, you know, helping out with functions, although that's really nice. It's not about, like, any of that stuff. It's about being right with God. And a close in prayer and, I'll, and a blessing. And I will, as a Christmas gift, end ten minutes early. Let's... <laughs> uh, Let's stand up and we'll pray and we'll do blessing. Heavenly Father, as I stand up here and share Isaiah's words, I, I hardly feel worthy to do it, Lord. I, I, I can only stand up here and talk about it because I'm a sheep that's gone astray. And I, I praise you that you love me so much that you've forgiven me, that you've dragged me out of the mud that I found myself in, Lord. And I pray as I chase after things that that, you know, aren't you, Lord, that you would draw me back and forever remind me and forever remind all the folks here, your Son, our, our Savior, like that he carried our transgressions, he was stricken, that he, he took all of the wrath we deserved, and that that's the gift we celebrate. And that's the gift the angels sang about, that the Son of God would come into this world, um, that you would have eyes of flesh and see as we see, um, and that you would you would take it all on our behalf, Lord. Praise you and help, ask you to help us to keep that in mind as we celebrate Christmas. Amen. Um, as you go on out of here, uh, I give out Christmas presents every year. I like giving gifts. It is my primary love language. And hanging on the back, my wonderful, beautiful wife made Christmas ornaments um, with our Isaiah verse. Um, pick one up on your way out. Take it with you. Um, Put it somewhere where it will remind you. Um, This is the center of everything that we're about. 
Like this is what the gospel is about. This is what the whole Bible is about. This is what the faith is about. Jesus Christ, God's son, died for us so that we can have new lives, be in relationship with him. We'd be forgiven and made new over and over again. That's what we celebrate. So may you go out of here, new creations. May you go out of here and celebrate the, the, the amazing love that God gives us through Christ. May you carry around that gift every day and use it all the time. May Jesus be the gift that keeps on giving year round. In Jesus' name, amen.